Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. And today I'm delighted that we have Dr. Sarah Perry. She is an assistant professor at Baylor University. Uh, she's an author of, of oh, co-author of the book Organized Innovation. Um, she is a, a specialist in employee stress and well-being with a particular focus on remote working. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for and, having me. Well, the timing is is quite something to be talking about remote working in the midst of a, a global academ- ap- epidemic. Um, so this is a very much a, a, a hot topic globally right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's Baylor University doing? Are you? Uh... Oh. Well, we just got an announcement yesterday, actually. So it's hot off the press um, and it's unprecedented in Baylor history and probably most universities that are doing this. We have... Uh, we're currently this week on spring break. And so I think one of the fears is the students are all going away to spring break and coming back and who knows where, where they've been and what they've interacted with in terms of germs and virus spreading. So they extended spring break another week, which puts us at a two week spring break. And then we are teaching online for two weeks after that. And then we're monitoring the situation. So Everyone is moving their classes online, and we have that extra week of spring break to really prepare for that. And I mean, at a university like Baylor, it's also pretty pretty unprecedented, actually, because we really pride ourselves on the face-to-face experience that you get at a place like Baylor, where we have small classes, professors teach, you know, you have that interaction. And so... Everyone's really having to upskill on the fly to do everything remotely. <laughs> wow! Yeah. So you and it, would this be the first time for you delivering your classes online? Not me personally. I've actually taught at a university where we had a huge offering of, of classes online. So fortunately, I I count myself fortunate in that way that I have done a lot of teaching online, and I actually had something already planned for my classes that we were going to be doing online. So it works out great that at least one of those days we were already planning to be remote so that's great okay good so you feel uh you're set up um yes yeah, yeah. it won't be it won't be too big of a deal <laughs> right right uh in fact i'm in a similar situation we've got a, a, a physical workshop plan next week that i'm i'm running and you know there's this mm-hmm. in my mind do we do we switch that to be online yes so. yeah yeah question for a lot of people right now right so um you gave me a whole stack of academic papers, academic papers before this, uh, <laughs> this interview, which I was very grateful for. And um, opened my eyes to this, yeah, all of the possible questions that sit around this topic of remote working, um, mm-hmm. which are far reaching, aren't they? Uh, when you, well, certainly for me, when I looked at it. Um, yeah. But you, 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 your focus on um, stress and, and well-being I mean, I know there's an enormous amount of research. I wonder if we start with, like, what are the key threads that emerge uh, yeah. in those areas of stress and, and well-being mm-hmm. as it pertains to remote working? And then maybe we can sort of dive deeper. Sure, yeah. So uh, one big take-home point that always comes up in terms of employees doing well when they work remotely uh, and when I say doing well, that means in terms of their health and well-being, but it also means in terms of their productivity, their satisfaction, the intention to continue in that job and in that remote work arrangement. Um, autonomy is number one. So you may have seen in some of those papers, and I commend you on reading all that academic <laughs> uh, jargon and everything. Um the autonomy is really the discretion given to an employee to operate independently. So if you are going to let someone or require someone to work remotely, the research is very clear that you have to give them freedom and discretion to make decisions on their own and to determine how to arrange their workday, how to arrange tasks, how how to do the things they need to do to get the job done. So that's number one. And a lot of research supports that. Uh, the, a recent study, though, that um, I published on this found that there are individual differences in how people react to autonomy. So my number two point is really that you have to consider the in- individual employee and how they are going to react to the, f- the aspect of being remote and also the aspect of being left on their own. So if you are giving someone freedom to make decisions you have to think, are they actually equipped to make those decisions? Have I given them all the resources they need to make those decisions well and to function well away from the office? 
And then in addition to that, um, and one paper that, that probably you looked at was the emotional stability paper on, there's a, there's a personality trait called emotional stability that is about really the extent to which you ride the roller coaster of emotion. So do you feel when something's stressful, like things going on in the world right now, do you feel that emotion with all of your being? And do you really ride that roller coaster of emotion? Or are you pretty even keel or are you somewhere in between? And so people who are less emotionally stable, and that's not meant to be a, a detrimental term at all. It's just, do you ride that? Do you ride those emotions more fully? Do you feel those emotions more in more extreme ways? Those people may have more trouble dealing with the autonomy when they have a high level of autonomy, and then they are also left on their own to work remotely. So it's really important to equip those people, especially, I mean, everyone, but particularly those that are going to be really stressed out by being left alone or being at a distance from everyone and not able to manage. So those are some of the big points. And within that, you hear another theme emerge, which has to do with what are the needs that your workplace meet that you no longer will have met at home. So uh, you have to think about the interaction you have at work and how can you meet that need in other ways, because we all have a need for interaction to whatever extent our personal differences may dictate that. But um, that's one of them. The autonomy is another need that we all have, but we see that some people actually get more stressed out the more they have, particularly when they're also left on their own. So we have to think about the needs and meeting those in other ways and the individual differences we have in how we're going to deal with that remotely. Right. Um, but, okay. So, but is it the opportunity that we have when we work remotely to give people more autonomy that potentially mm-hmm. gives people an increase in in job satisfaction. Is that what we're saying here? Yes, in general, for in most general. people. So we just have to realize, I guess, from, from a manager standpoint, I think checking in and knowing and trying to know how our employees are doing when they are remotely working. So just keeping a pulse, our finger on the pulse with how they're doing is important. I think that's the main lesson. Absolutely, most people uh, will do better because they want that freedom. Uh, and in addition to that, it helps us manage our lives better. So when we have the discretion to decide when or how, or we're going to work and how we're going to save time, you know, not by not having to go to the office, we save a lot of time, which helps us manage our lives in general better on a break. I can go throw a load of laundry in versus standing around chit chatting about nothing with my coworkers, which uh, is also something that's good. And uh, meets a need for me, but uh, I can really manage my home life better when I work at home. Um, you know, so there are lots of dynamics in there you have to consider as well. Just keeping a, a finger on the pulse of how people are doing individually is important. Right. But one fascinating study I saw, it was only one that was cited, <laughs> was that actually the rem- the, the relationship between worker and supervisor, using the language, mm-hmm. was, was actually improved um, potentially improved through a remote relationship. I thought that was fascinating because that seems highly counterintuitive. That would be something you'd expect to decrease. It is. It is counterintuitive. And there has been some, you know, people express fear about being looked over for promotion and and losing some opportunities because they're out of sight, out of mind. But people who manage this well can really, I think, impress their supervisor and really show that they're able to handle this, it shows it a leadership capability even that you have in managing yourself and managing your schedule and still maybe even being more productive from afar. It's really about communication with that supervisor because some managers, some supervisors will be, think you aren't doing any work if they don't see you doing work. Um, but I don't think that's the vast majority. And maybe I'm being overly optimistic. I think people are pretty reasonable more people are pretty reasonable about this, but it is up to the remote worker to communicate proactively. Right. And, and technology plays a role here because I saw in another mm-hmm. paper that the extent to which people had access to the right technology made a big yeah. difference, right? Huge difference, yes. You need the resources to do your work. So if you can't get to certain things because you don't know how to use the VPN to get into your company network, then that's going to be a huge limiting factor. You have to set people up appropriately so they have everything they need from the beginning and it will be a lot more productive and satisfying for everyone. You have to think about those things up front for sure. 
and the other thing that kept coming through again and again was in and the way they describe it in the literature is this curvy linear relationship mm-hmm. so that the, so that means right a little bit of remote working uh is is potentially uh, not as good as a, a medium amount, but then too much remote working is also detrimental. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a yeah. sweet spot in the middle. Yeah, I think that's, about that? that's super interesting to me because I think personally I relate to that. Uh, that really resonates true for me. Um, so that study, uh, Tim Golden and colleagues found that if you work about 15 hours a week, that's really the sweet spot of remote work, which would be about two days. So if you consider your work week overall. And if I could spend about two days away to be able to do my work uninterrupted, um, you know, plant, not have to get dressed for work, not have to commute. Uh, I can also run some errands. I can use my breaks in a way that helped me be productive in my home life and my work life. So uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that research was something that I think a lot of people who study remote work found really interesting that it's too much. I mean, if you do it too much, if you're there all the time, although I've heard different stories from people anecdotally who work remotely 100%, but it's harder to meet those needs I mentioned earlier. So you can't, uh, you can't interact with people as easily. Of course you can do conferences, you can do video conferences, stuff like that. You can meet people for lunch or coffee, but having Automatic access to people is severely limited if you are 100% remote um, and other things. But I, I do think that the people I've talked to who are 100% remote, who anecdotally say, I love it, I would not want to do anything else, I think they have probably set themselves up in a way that they have all the needs met, they, they have all the technology they need, they can function really efficiently and effectively from a distance. And so they have, they know what they're doing and they can do it well. And may, a lot of those are also freelancers, I think, uh, contractors and freelancers. So they don't feel like they have to be at an office or in an organization wedded to that organization. And that might be a personality type mm-hmm. factor, right? These are people mm-hmm. who don't, don't feel a deep need to belong to an organization potentially. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're looking at this one study that we did recently. We were looking at co-working spaces as an alternative. And um, we looked at, and we're still getting those results, but we think that extroversion plays a big role here because the more extroverted you are, the more need you have to really be around people and you enjoy that and you want more of that interaction. So that may be a, a contributing factor. Oh, that's interesting. Um and I also saw that there was one study with new products that uh, found that the teams working on new follow that um, if you were physically together, they were the best performing teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, those that had met and spent some time together, but mm-hmm. then worked virtually were the second rank. And those who'd yep. only ever worked re- remotely were the third rank. So yeah. it seems that in particular contexts, actually that, that curve doesn't apply. And, and really you do need to be together all the time to achieve the best performance. Yeah. To, for innovation and new creativity and collaboration, you know, you see some of these companies say that they have eliminated remote work entirely because of that. They feel like they aren't getting as much innovation and from the collaboration as they would otherwise. So, so, you know, you see Yahoo did it a few years, several years ago. You see IBM did it a few years ago and others. And I think HP was one of them also. Um, I don't know, you know, I haven't seen their data. So I don't know what data they're using to make those decisions. We do know that people work better virtually once they have formed a relationship. So building relationships and um, some kind of rapport with your coworkers and especially the team members that you have to collaborate with closely really, really pays off to do that early on before you are completely remote and out of their minds, out of sight, out of mind applies there. And so that definitely plays a role. And I think innovation wise, you could see how face to face, uh, brainstorming, really talking to people and having the time and the lack of technology interruptions could play into having richer conversations. So you can see how that could go. And that might be another reason, though, that even working remotely one or two days a week, uh, you could still accomplish that level of innovation if your individual team members aren't together five days a week. I would 
I would guess. Um, because if they have those relationships when they need each other, they are able to connect and communicate efficiently, but then, you know, they need some time together also. I even see that in my own co-authors, the people that I work really closely with, the ones that are here with me at Baylor, we're much more efficient because we can have a meeting, we can think through ideas, we might completely change direction on a project, and it all happens within an hour versus we're emailing back and forth, we're scheduling a virtual meeting with my co-authors that are spread out all over the world. So you can definitely see that having that relationship, but also having the opportunity to have some face-to-face really does help. Right. And and we our biology is behind the technology here, right? Mm-hmm. The, the technology, even, and I saw one, one, the one point which I hadn't really considered is even as I talk to you now on this camera, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. quite looking in your eyes, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. That's true. Yeah. Because um, I'm looking at you in your eyes, but I'm not, you're not, we aren't connecting directly, right? It doesn't yeah. look like it. So yeah, there's something maybe biological, maybe just really underlying in our psyche that that does affect. But I think the richer the tools are, uh, the more we can collaborate and be super productive, brainstorming, um, working together in my own work, I do a lot of data collection and then we you know, have to clean and analyze the data and run statistical analyses and all of that we can do on our own individually. So, you know, a certain co-author can take that and can work on it. What tends to happen though, I see is that somebody will take it, we'll get stuck, we'll have a problem and we can't quite solve, figure out how to get past that problem. And then we get distracted with other projects. And because those co-authors aren't down the hall asking us about it, we let it go a little bit longer. And then we might have a call to talk about and try to brainstorm and try to problem solve. Whereas on times when co-authors and I get together to do those steps, we can make it through that entire process in three days where it might take three months virtually just because someone gets stuck other things come up. We aren't each other's 100% focus. So that's definitely something to consider. And that may explain this data as to why the mm-hmm. the pure physical teams outperform on new product. Yeah. 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 No, I could, I could see that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, although there is some counter evidence there, which I found interesting. One study of Spanish firms, I think it was 157 mm-hmm. Spanish firms, mm-hmm. they found that the ones that offered uh, remote mm-hmm. working uh, did the best in terms of innovation, uh, financial performance. Uh, okay, and uh, yeah, so so that but perhaps their their new product teams were based you know, co-located, but maybe they offered remote working where it made sense. Yeah, so you could that that yeah. seemed to emerge for me this possibility that actually in some setups it, it it's really works and perhaps perhaps optimizes mm-hmm. other circumstances. It's actually suboptimal. Yeah, I think actually that probably goes back to the autonomy and having the flexibility to work remotely if you need to or want to. And that in itself, even if people don't use the benefit, uh, people are more satisfied because they have the option. So, you know, you're given that freedom. You can choose what is the best mode for you. And that plays in overall to your uh, well-being and your satisfaction and maybe even your productivity. Yeah. Um, yeah, and what about... So so that was something that was interesting from a career perspective. So we might mm. think productivity goes up, my job satisfaction goes up, um, but maybe I'm passed over. What's the, what's, what's the research saying on that? So the research says that that doesn't happen uh, in general, that that's not as big of a risk as people think in terms of they fear that when they go remote. But a huge part of that is that you have to stay in touch And you have to be very proactive and clear about what you're accomplishing. So some people will suggest that keeping clear metrics for yourself of what you accomplish and just to be able to tell your story from a data analytics perspective, not that you're doing these advanced statistics on your own work, but knowing in quantifiable ways what you accomplish and how much, uh, not that you're, and also not that you're judging or being judged all the time or having to rationalize, but that you are aware of uh, the time you save by not going into the office, how much more productive you are as a result of that, what you've accomplished over the past period of months or year or whatever. Um, And being able to articulate that story for yourself is really important for your career. 
but also just keeping in touch. So you have to talk to people. You have to reach out. If you can show your face at times, that's great. Um, but being aware that it is up to you to, to impression manage and to make sure people know that you're working. I think a lot of the downfall from the personal side of things, a lot of remote workers I've talked to is their family thinks that they don't work or their friends because they work at home and they can have the flexibility to schedule lunch, you know, late lunch or go to coffee or something. They think they don't work at all. So they think they're just at their beck and call and they could just go do something anytime. And that's so not the case, but a lot of people who work remotely feel like the expectations are misaligned, <laughs> especially from their family. So they have to just be clear telling their own story about this is, this is how I work. This is a different way to work. Yeah. And I, I read that, that, um, so performance, um, for home workers doesn't necessarily improve immediately. And actually it takes time, people a bit, bit of time. I thought that's quite mm -hmm. an important point Yeah, yeah. to get experienced at working at home. Mm -hmm. And presumably a big part of that is managing the boundaries with your family. Yeah. Yes. And then that may take a bit of time. Yes. And also I think, so there's a few different ways you can take that if, because there are physical boundaries. If you have the ability to have a physical workspace that is separate from the rest of your life, then that's huge. It can really help you. Um, it can help you managing the interruptions that could come from your family, but also could set a clear sign, a clear physical sign that I'm working, I'm in my work domain, you know, I, I shouldn't be interrupted. And it might take a little while for your family to get that because if you're around, it's easy to ask you to do a favor or, you know, any number of household chores that are always in front of you if you're sitting in the middle of your mess in your house, you know? And so it's really important to set the boundary. Also though, um, a different way you could take that is because you're at home, if you don't set a boundary in terms of schedule or just a psychological boundary that this is my work, uh, this is when I turn it on and this is when I turn it off, you could have a risk of burning out because intensification of work has been shown to go up for remote workers. And what that means is you're working longer. You're working at all hours. You're answering emails all the time because if you don't have the proper boundaries, you just never turn it off. And so that's a really important thing for your own self to and for your family to be able to have that boundary as much as you can. Right. That's interesting. I've not, I've not experienced the latter yet. Um, yeah. Mine's been much more the former. I'm just remembering a time recently when my, because I work a lot from home and my mother mm -hmm. came over and she was dropping something by and I could just tell she was dying to have a cup of tea. And, I, and you know, <laughs> it took something to just not offer her that cup of tea because I knew, right. knew I needed to go back to work. And yeah, but yeah. moments like that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know, that also is not so different than being at the office and having an impromptu conversation with your coworker that last 30 minutes and you realize, I, I don't want to say I'm wasting time because I'm building connections with my coworkers and that's important, but <laughs> you also need to be working, not chatting about whatever, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with work. Yeah. Essentially. And what, what do you find is the, is the stronger tendency? Is it the intensification that people work too much or is it, is it, is it actually that people tend to work less? I don't have data on that. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even make a guess. It probably depends on the person. Um, in the work family research, we talk about this integration versus segmentation mindset. And I think if you have an integration mindset, it's possible that things even out. But what that means is you're constantly blurring the boundaries. So you might be doing family stuff during the day and work stuff during the night. And you allow interruptions from your family to happen. You allow interruptions from your work to happen in your family time. And so I don't know, I, but my guess and my personal experience would be that people who are more integrators may feel more worn out because they never can focus on one thing and it's harder to focus and get things done. And if you never get anything done, but you're constantly spinning your wheels, that's exhausting. And so that's my guess. I don't know the, I don't know if research has actually mm. proven that yet. And I do but, think also it depends on your level of commitment and engagement in your work. Right. Uh, yeah. That, that's going to make, yeah, that's going to make, I guess, I guess that that's interesting, isn't it? So, so it may be that if you're 
super committed to your work, you're at a higher risk of um, intensification, right? Mm-hmm. Putting it all into yeah. it because because you yeah. don't have the boundaries of an office space that right. like you know keep that in check. Yeah. Uh, but uh, right. the flip side, if you're less committed, mm-hmm. much more at risk of allowing yourself to be interrupted, not working on those boundaries, cyber slacking, exactly. as I saw. Yeah, saw a little bit of slacking. Yep, exactly. Yeah. That's much more likely to happen at the office or at home. But at home, there are more opportunities to slack off if you are uh, not so committed to work <laughs> or not too interested in it. I mean, we, there was one paper and uh, probably eight or 10 years ago now about being overly engaged. And this wasn't for remote workers, but in general, how being overly engaged can cause more um, conflict between the work and family role and more burnout. And that makes sense for remote workers too. So you're at a high level of engagement in your work. You want to work, you enjoy working. Your brain sort of goes there all the time. You're thinking about things you're doing at work. And so if you're working at home, it's really easy to blur those boundaries. And it's okay to do it. I mean, it, it accommodates your life in some way. So that's great uh, to allow, like professors often talk about how the, the flexibility we have to sort of shift our schedule based on when we teach and then the rest of the time we do our research. And so I'm able to pick up my kids, but I need to make up that time somehow or I'll never get any of my research done. So I can leave early to pick up my kids, but then I need to later in the evening, you know, then the kind of typical example of professors is often we do our family stuff from three to eight or whatever, and then we have to work again from eight to 10 or whatever, or eight to midnight or whatever it is, because we have to get the work done. It just might not look like everyone else. Right. Right. Uh, okay. And then the other type of mindset, so that's the in, intricate mindset of the people who can, who sort of naturally do that in some mm-hmm. way. And what was the other type of mindset then? The segmented or segmentation Segment. mindset, right. mindset okay. where you really, you really keep things separate. Uh, at the extreme, it would be that you don't even talk about personal things at work, but you are completely your work identity. But a more maybe normal side of that would be that you just are very clear about this is my work time. All I'm doing is working. This is my family time. All I'm doing is working. So if you do that at home, if you're working from home, you can manage those interruptions pretty well if you can keep them somewhat separate. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and now stress was the other part of this. So what, what, what's been the finding on stress for people? So when people can't meet the needs that I mentioned earlier, like they don't have enough interaction with people, they don't have another need I didn't mention is we have this need to compare our performance with others so that we sort of know where we stand, that we feel like we're a competent professional. And you don't have as many of those opportunities when you work remotely. Um, Our particular study didn't find big results there, but I still think there's something to be said for social comparison um, and the... Um, absence of that when you work remotely. Um, the other one though was autonomy. So if you don't have those needs met, that leads to that, those are stressors and that leads to burnout and other forms of strain. Um, in terms of managing the boundaries and the intensification, that can be a stressor. So if you aren't managing your boundaries well and you're constantly trying to multitask, but that's really, you can't do everything. So managing expectations of all sides well, if you don't do that, that can lead to, that's a stressor and that can lead to burnout and other forms of strain. Um, In terms of understanding yourself and what you are capable of, so going back to that one particular personality type we talked about was emotional stability, but another one might be uh, conscientiousness. That's a big one in terms of stress because how we organize our lives and our work uh, depends a lot on co- our conscientiousness and how how well organized we are might also determine how focused we are and how achievement oriented we are. That's all part of conscientiousness. So that can be a determinant of how much stress you experience as a result of working remotely or not. Um, again, we haven't found big results there in in our re- in my research. We haven't seen that remote work is really affected by conscientiousness, but we do know it affects. Um, stress in general and how we experience stress. Um, another one that can be really, a uh, really big demand for remote workers is when a manager micromanages. And that's another form of not allowing enough autonomy. 
But in general, if you tell someone that they need to work from home, but then don't give them the resources or the freedom that they need to do it, that's a huge source of stress. So we have to be realistic when we're managing these sorts of arrangements that we give the employees everything they need to do that. So those are some big ones. Right, right. Yeah. And what's, but, but is the general trend that it, it tends to be that people experience less stress, stress if they're given that option? Is that, yeah, in is, general, is it true? Yeah. It, in general, especially like you said earlier, even just having the option that that's huge for, so in general, people can manage their work and their life better, their work and their non-work lives um, better when they work remotely. They have more satisfaction, less exhaustion. Um, so all things being equal, those things can really improve as long as you have some remote work. The one study about the curvilinear effect was really about satisfaction. So um, having optimal satisfaction happens about at two days a week or so. And so after that, you might just feel too isolated or like things are too hard. You need, you know, things at your office or whatever it may be. Yeah. But in general, it ha- it's shown to have good good effect on our well-being. That's uh that's important, isn't it? And so, yeah. so, so perhaps you'll say so. There could be a, an upside to the to the current yeah. ec- epidemic. Then, if if people start on mass yeah. experiencing, yeah, job satisfaction. Now one thing to keep in mind, though, during this epidemic, that's going to be unique is everyone may be under a higher level of stress just in general. And so, when we're under, I mean, that's we we characterize that as demands on our resources. So if you think about, we have resources that, you know, personally in in our job, and if we have a big stressful event happening, that is consuming resources, whether it's our attention, our um, endurance, you know, our resiliency is being challenged because just things are coming at us. So mentally and psychologically, but also in terms of our ability to reach our coworkers, um, to get work done, you know, to continue to interact as people try to move to a remote work setting. So I think we have to give ourselves a little bit of a break in stressful times like this or any other that we would face that we're just maybe not going to get quite as much done as we would have otherwise. We're a bit distracted. Um, we're trying to maintain, and it's great that we can maintain the flow of business, even in a, a situation like this. We need to be grateful if we actually can work remotely and not just not work, you know? And so it's a great thing to be great, uh, really have gratitude for. And that in itself can build more positive emotion and rebuild some of our personal resources. But we definitely have to manage expectations. Another thing that I've heard recently is um, the whole conflict of our kids might be home from school too. So now we're working from home and our kids are home. That's way different than a normal remote worker because we have to manage our kids. And so we can't do everything. And like I said earlier with the example about we might have to work after they go to bed or, you know, add on some time because sometimes it is more stressful to try to manage everything. Um, And the kids want your attention and you're trying to focus on something else and then you get frustrated and then you snap at your kids and then you feel bad and, that kind of vicious cycle might happen if we if we aren't able to draw the boundaries really clearly because they start to blur if our kids are at home. There are yeah. things we can do, I think, to manage the boundaries still, depending on how old your kids are. But um, that's going to be something to consider. Well, that's interesting. So, so people might be in that situation. I mean, I've got kids who are three, but twin boys are three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So you wouldn't be like, able to get it. much done. Get, get <laughs> yeah. anything. Like yeah, just yeah. keeping my laptop intact in their presence is like an achievement. Right, right. I any work on it. Um, so, yeah. So what are the things that perhaps for older kids or the, the strategies that people can employ then to manage them? I I think a good, and this is maybe not research, but more anecdotal too. Um, I think a good model to look at is how people homeschool. So it's not that we're homeschooling right now, but we have to do something to occupy our kids and to keep them moving in a productive direction that's not screens all day. And so I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. And if given the freedom, they would watch Dude Perfect all day long. Like That's all they'd want to do. <laughs> they could watch the same episode 15 times. And then go practice some trick shots and come back in. 
that's just what they want to do. But I can't let them do that all day, even though I need to get work done. So giving them, you know, maybe setting, you know, homeschoolers, what they do is they are very self-directed. The kids are very self-directed. They're given some direction. They're given some things to work on and they're given help as needed. But then, you know, a mom, I have one friend who has seven kids and she's homeschooled all of them with toddlers in the process, you know, so she had a, like a couple high schoolers and she had a five-year-old. And so you have to manage all of these different attention directions. <laughs> and um, I think we can do that with remote work. So if you say, you know, here's something that you're going to work on for the next 30 minutes and I'm going to go work on my thing. And then we're going to meet again in 30 minutes. and We're going to give you the next thing. If your kids are old enough to be able to do that, and even maybe, you know, with three-year-olds and younger, you can get them on something. Their attention may not be as long. But you got to give yourself some periods of time. And with my own kids, when I'm trying to work remotely and they're there, that's generally what I try to do. I try to say, okay, for the next whatever, this is what you need to work on. And I need to focus on this, so don't interrupt me for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> like, I need to fi finish this. And that's not very long of a time to focus on anything, but whatever you can get. You know, and if you can split it up among spouses, that's helpful too. kind of trade off. Right. Well, that's fascinating because, you know, we might touch on this as well in terms of potential societal changes that this mm -hmm. um, or opens up in terms of opportunity. But yeah, so using that as an example, it, it, we could now see it, that it becomes feasible that, that people go to homeschool whilst working a job. Possibly. Because I don't think well, but possibly. <laughs> oh, possibly. <laughs> yeah. It depends on what their job is, I suppose. Because I know a lot of people who do sort of part-time gigs, you know, like they kind of participate in the gig economy, but they it's more part-time because they need to focus on their kids too. And absolutely, that's feasible. Um, but it might be more feasible to do some a closer to a full-time job and homeschool or whatever it is. One thing I think that this will show us is it gives, it really gives people, employees, a chance to prove that if they've been wanting to work remotely and here they're finally given the chance, take advantage of the opportunity. Show that you can do it. Show, you know, be ready to show this is completely feasible. I can do this job. I mean, considering the other things as far as we're managing a lot more than just doing our work remotely, possibly. So, you know, um, I guess realistic expectations, but still it gives you a chance to step up and really show your leadership potential, your leadership ability in a crisis and um, to show that you are capable and trustworthy to do it. I feel like in the future, it could lead to either more people being able to negotiate for some sort of flexible work arrangement in their current jobs, or at least they might have more knowledge about themselves and what they want in a future job. So it could lead, it could open up some avenues that people hadn't thought of before. Right. I mean, I don't know if this is too grand a comparison, but I wonder if it, we may look back on this as not the same, but in a similar vein to during you know, the World War II when where we started to see greater female participation in, mm -hmm. in workforce, for example, right? So Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah, absolutely uh, not on the same scale probably, but yeah, that's, that's a great parallel. It opened people's eyes to, yeah. to you know, ways in which we can work. Um, Absolutely, and and getting back to so, so it may or may not be true then that this opens up the oppor a greater opportunity for homeschooling, which I know is on the mm -hmm. rise generally, actually. Yeah, right? yeah, the it is. And uh, also, interestingly, uh, some something I was reading about homeschooled kids um, outperform in general schooled kids, mm -hmm. which interesting. is interesting. Uh, I hadn't seen that. Yeah, right. Uh, the, we have yeah the ones I've interacted with have been highly capable. I mean, they're self directed from the beginning, so. They really are very, they're, um, they're just, I guess they manage themselves well. Like when we see them at the college level and they'll say, you know, I was homeschooled, they just can manage so much in terms of directing their own education. It's really impressive. That's, right. of course, speaking in generalities, you can't say everyone, but yeah, yeah. yeah. And it may be that right now it's the most capable parents who are homeschooling. And if that was a, that you know, might across be, yeah. the board, it, you know, may not see the same yeah. effect, but um, yeah. But nonetheless, that may be one trend. But I also noticed that there was somebody, you know, one of the authors was indicating we might see an emptying out. This may contribute to an emptying out of the cities 
um, mm-hmm. as people are able to work for, and actually they build their lives in, around the you know their neighbourhood and their communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that may be a trend. Is that something you've you've read up on? I haven't really read on that, but personally, I can resonate with that because I feel like if you are working from home and you live in a suburb uh, for ten years, I lived in Houston and I lived in a suburb of Houston, and so. I had a completely different circle of friends in life at home than I ever would at work because the people I worked with lived all over in all different suburbs and potentially in Houston as well. But I'm not probably very often going to go meet up with them on the weekend or after work or anything like that because we're thinking of traffic and picking kids up from daycare and that all the things that happen in our neighborhood or to get to our neighborhoods even. So yeah, if we can work remotely, I know at that point I was able to work in a workout. So instead of eating lunch at my desk and, or eating lunch with friends at work, I would go work out um, over lunch and I was in much better shape than I worked, <laughs> worked at home a lot than like three days a week. Um, but then there's other things like I can have lunch with a friend that kind of a neighbor, you know, I had more interaction with people that were around me in my neighborhood. So yeah, I think that sense of community could be built up if people are using their flexibility in a way that um, adds to that, that contributes to that. Yeah, that's important, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it still takes discipline or, and, and yes. a motivation to get away from your desk and go do it. So right, yeah, that's important. Right. And that was, as well, you touched on being in better shape. I also noticed that there was one study suggested people eat better. Oh yeah, they're eat the, they kind of take away crap. Yeah, they're eating yeah. at home and make food. Yeah, so. I've heard another study talked about saving money too, and that contributes to it because you might not have to do as much dry cleaning, but you also yep. can eat better because you're eating at home. So yeah, there's there's all those other benefits like that. Yeah, that's uh, this is this is painting quite a, quite a exciting picture for the future, and I want to. <laughs> And this is this may be too much of a leap, but what you know what I noticed here in the UK, we recently saw studies of um, uh, uh, an increase in people's loneliness and isolation and mm-hmm. uh, and suicide rates even, and and part of that is linked, I know, from other research to people losing connection, you know, yeah. with uh, you know with the with us with the, their social in their social mm-hmm. context. So, mm-hmm. it, could, could this be a way for people to reconnect? Um, is it too much I think only if they use it well, because one of the biggest concerns of remote work is isolation. And so I've mentioned, you know, using your flexibility to set up time with friends and time with people that you can connect with coworkers or anyone, um, but you have to do it. And I think there are people that won't ever do it. So people that are, that tend to be really isolated probably will be even more isolated if they're right, working so it could from even home. exacerbate this issue. It could. And it research is has shown a concern for that, for sure. So you have to be clear about what you are what you're doing with that time and how you're using it. And even like I said before, you have to proactively communicate with your coworkers and your boss to maintain those relationships and that connection. So you have to be proactive to do that. If you have someone that comes to work and the only interaction they really get is if someone comes up to them or kind of interrupts them in their office or those, you know, happenstance kind of conversations you have in the hallway, and then they go home and they don't have any interaction with anyone. So if they are sent home to work from home, that could be a problem for that kind of person that might not seek out those interactions. So that's interesting, isn't it? So that remote work may give people the opportunity to build greater connection with mm-hmm. their local community, yeah. but uh, they don't take it. And actually, some people they, again, yeah. may, they may get worse because now they, they're not only isolated in their local community, mm-hmm. they're isolated from, from their colleagues at work, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot about self-discipline, but also, I don't know what the term would be, but seeking really an other orientation, seeking the interactions out, seeking connection social connection out that's i think that's really important yeah and i wonder if you know when i think and compare myself to working in offices it, it, what has tended to emerge when i've worked in office is, is certain rituals might emerge like the the you know we at pubs right in england or in mm-hmm. london you know, it's yeah. a friday friday night lunch at the pub and even mm-hmm. for those who are more introverted 
they kind of get pulled along into yeah. that into that social uh, ceremony in a way that they wouldn't uh, you know they wouldn't initiate such a thing um so i i can see now if 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 that personality type is left at home mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they're not pulled into these social interactions then they don't engage in them yeah yeah and you can see how even those rituals help build those connections with coworkers that then carry over into how you work with each other you know you answer each other's calls and emails you kind of go out of your way to help each other because you build those social connections informally through your social interaction and there's just goodwill created and so if you don't have any of those opportunities it could dampen your productivity i mean going back to those companies who have taken away remote work as an option i think that's just a little too extreme because you could have the best of both worlds if you give people the freedom to work at times like the research has maybe no more than 2 days a week um could be but at least you have those 2 days which can work really well for giving you uninterrupted time to work and also the ability to manage your life a little bit more holistically. Right. Yeah. And that, then you still have sense. some of those impromptu interactions yeah, like yeah, inter- we're going to the pub yeah. after work or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I'm also yeah. thinking in the case for those who do work majority of their time, I maybe maybe what will emerge is a, a sort of a social need almost for sort of mm-hmm. home worker. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> those socializing activities or you, know, you can imagine. Well, in some cases, I think that's where co-working has emerged, why mm. it's emerged, because um, at least in the study that we did, the, anecdotally from our participants, they commented on the fact that one of the reasons they joined was because they needed a space, like a professional space outside of their home to go at least some of the time. And most of them, most of the people that we studied didn't go every day. They just wanted it a few days a week and then also people that were there to interact with. So yeah, that kind of emerged out of that need to, I need to interact with someone or I need to kind of get dressed for work (laughs) at least a few days, you know, and feel less like a homebody. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And so where are you going now? What's your current focus? What's the big question you're, you're working on right now in this context? So we have a study we're doing right now that's looking at a couple of things. One is the isolation aspect. So what, if, what are people doing that makes them more or less isolated or feeling lonely, depressed, kind of those negative emotions um, in terms of remote work? And we're also looking at the work-family dynamics and how working at home and the the extent to which you work at home and the expectations that the spouse and the employee have, how those drive the work-family conflict you might face, the frustration in the partnership, the um, just all the different ways that it can affect satisfaction with your family and your job. Um, we're also looking at how people are trying to look at how people are using this flexibility as a resource. So what are some specific ways that they're using the flexibility they have as a remote worker in a way that benefits them professionally, um, productivity wise with their family and with, for themselves, just in terms of taking care of themselves, like exercising or whatever it is, like we mentioned earlier. So that, those are some things we're looking at, and we're looking at couples. So we have the spouse reporting about the situation, and we have the employee reporting about the situation. So it should provide some really interesting insight into how this affects the work and the family domain. And do you have a hypothesis or a few hypotheses you're, you're working yes. on? Yes. Um, so we started out thinking that just in terms of I'll take the flexibility as a resource issue. We We started out thinking that people may feel guilty about the ways they use their flexibility as a resource. So just in terms of prevalence of using my flexibility as a resource to manage my life, like doing laundry when I'm taking a break or picking my kids up and doing a conference call at the same time, you know, things like that. Um, although that's probably illegal because you can't use, you can't use your phone in a school zone. So don't do that. <laughs> anyway, multitasking in a way that you are sort of blurring the lines, but in a way that meets multiple goals at the same time. Um, so we think that people that do that more are more productive, more, ha- uh, more satisfied and healthier in all domains. Um, but we think that there's probably a subset of people who feel guilty about that. Like if I'm okay. working at home, I need to be working only, nothing else. 
so we'll see if that emerges, but we think people who feel more guilty won't do that and therefore will suffer more in remote work. Um, in terms of other hypotheses, we think that people who are more segmented probably have more satisfaction in general from their family and from their work. Um, but we'll see. I think it'll be a more complex dynamic on how they're managing it and how often they're there. Right. So those are some of the things we're thinking. Fascinating. And, and are you looking for recruits? We are looking for recruits. We're looking for couples who one person, at least one person in the couple works full time and works remotely at least 16 hours a month. That comes out to about half a day a week. So you could work anywhere from half a day a week on average to 100%. And we aren't counting people who work remotely after work. So this is people who actually legitimately work at home during their normal working hours or at home or somewhere else. Um, so yes, we are looking for couples and we still need probably 400 more at least. Oh, wow. Okay. So we need more people to do that. And you need obviously both, both people in the couple to be willing to. Yes, both people in the couple have to agree. Um, it's only three online surveys. They take less than 20 minutes, around 20 minutes or less to complete. And the main employee who is the full-time worker who works remotely some of the time at least, they fill out two surveys and the spouse fills out one survey. So it's very minimal and we're paying $25 in Amazon ah. gift card for couples who finish. So we absolutely are trying to compensate people for their time. <laughs> Great. And we can put a link to that. Uh, absolutely. The yes. form where people apply, presumably. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We can put that in the, in the, in the description. Right. Yes. And for people listening to that, what if they just search Baylor University, what, what would they do? <laughs> It's a pretty easy, the link which we'll put is um, tinyurl.com slash Baylor Remote Work Study. So Baylor Remote Work Study is all one word. Okay. And um, so it's pretty easy to find. We, I don't believe we have, we don't have a website specifically for the study. Um, what that'll take you to is the sign up, the survey that gives you more information about what the study is about and how to sign up. Brilliant. Okay. Um, well, well, thank you very much. Well, thank you. It's been um, fun talking. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and as you say, I hope people listening who are getting an opportunity to work remotely, take, take, take this chance. Take advantage of it. Take if, advantage. They, if it's something they want to do. Yeah. Show, show your stuff, show what you can do and see going forward. If it's something that can benefit you for your overall work. Yeah. Great. Let's okay. See. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sarah. I really enjoyed the conversation. And, uh, thank you, Richard. Yeah, I look forward to seeing the, the findings when they come out. All right. Absolutely. We'll be sharing. Okay. okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.